Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk with faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. If you got your Bibles, will you turn with me to Galatians this morning? Galatians chapter 3. I desperately. I want you to get it this morning. It would be one thing if we were talking about theories in the classroom, but we're talking about reality. We're talking about eternity. It would be one thing if we were playing games or trying to show off. But we're talking about people. We're talking about your sons, your daughters. We're talking about your family. We're talking about you. We're talking about God. We're talking about your purpose, your eternity. We're talking about Jesus. And more than anything, I want you, I want you to get it this morning. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And uh, there'll be slides on the board. And so uh, I'll read this verse, and then, God help us, we'll make it through the material this morning. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hey, uh, I have the privilege this morning of presenting to you something that our staff, our pastors have worked on for the last six months. Um, Here at Maysville, we have endeavored, as membership has always been important here, Um, We want to endeavor to make it even more so and really drive home. You say, what do you mean by that? Um, This is the first lesson in a series of four. Um, Starting this morning, Pastor Shane will be back to teach the next three. Um, We are endeavoring. We want to teach the whole church, all of our members and guests. Hey, listen, guests, if you're interested in being a part of this family and being a member, this is a great time to be here and to hear what we're all about, okay? So this morning, I get to start that. And how we see this setting up is after the month of August, as we preach through, go through this series together as a family, is for people who are interested in joining the church, we want to offer this on Wednesday night, the same material, the same teaching. And so members, uh, potential members will know 
what to expect out of their church, what we believe, who we are, how we want to do ministry, and what they can expect from their pastors, and what we expect of our members, okay? So that's, that's what this is about, okay? So we want to be up front with that. And our prayer as pastors is that, church member, that you would renew your commitment to the Lord uh, and renew your commitment to your church. Okay, and so that's why we're going through this series as we start this new church year. And so, uh, and we have a couple goals we'll get to in just a second. But let me answer the question, why church membership? Is church membership important? Is it something we should be concerned with? And let me just say a couple things about church membership. One, the church is a family. The church is a family. Let me read you this verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know uh, who the children of God are. Anyone who does not do what is right in God's sight is not his children, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So John writes in this letter, if you do not love your brother and sister in Christ, you are not a Christian. So right there, it is implied that the church is filled of brothers and sisters in Jesus. So I just want to make the point, we are family. Have you heard the saying, um, blood is thicker than water? Um, I always thought that that meant, and that was the full saying, but uh, by that, people mean that their kin folks, right, are closer than like church or baptism, like we're, no matter what, your blood, your blood. But the actual saying, my source tells me, and a few let me know this this week, the true saying is this, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That's the real saying. So what is really meant by that saying is this, those who have been washed in the blood of the covenant, those who are the church, have more in common and are more family than those of your physical blood. We are born again into the family of God. And so I want to just say the church is to be a family. We're to operate like that. We are a family. And next, I want to say this. God expects you to be a member of a church. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me confess this. You won't find a chapter and a verse in the Bible that says uh, you should join a church and be a church member. And let me give you the reason you won't find that verse and chapter in the Bible. Because being a member of a local body of Christ is so expected and so implicit that the writers of the Bible never thought they'd have to say such a thing. But we live in such a culture of uncommitment. You think about, the, think about this. It is not uncommon today. It, it is almost traditional now for you to live with somebody before you're married. That is the cultural norm. Why? You don't have to commit to each other. You get together, you live together, it don't work out, bye, see you later. No commitment, it's easy. And a lot of people treat church just the same way. But let me say, we want more from that from our members. We expect more from our members, and you ought to expect more from your pastors than that. We want to be committed to each other in a church body. Members of a church means to be committed to one another. And let me uh, give you some verses of how the Bible is just implicit. It expects you to be a member of a local body of church and to be committed. Let me read this verse to you, Hebrews 13, 17. Here's what the writer says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. He just says to the church members, you, you, you should submit to the authority and leaders of the church because they have been given uh, by God the responsibility of watching over your soul. So it's implicit that you would be in relationship with the leaders and pastors of your church. So it expects you to be a part of that. Uh, this is from the words of Jesus, and no one spoke more about church than Jesus because he's the founder of the church. 
Matthew 18, verse 17. And by the way, church members, if you ever have an issue with another church member, any kind of conflict or offense, Matthew 18 gives us the way to deal with it. Jesus lays it out. He doesn't mix any bones about it. And uh, at the end, you know, Jesus says, if you have an offense with someone in the church, you personally go to that person. If they won't hear you, you go get uh, someone else from the church to go with you. If they won't hear you again, take them before the leaders of the church. And then if they don't listen to the leaders of the church, Jesus says, do this, Matthew 18, 17. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And it says, in other words, they are to be outside of the church. They're to be treated like someone outside the church. So I don't want to say much more about that verse other than it is implicit that uh, you can be not a member. So it's implicit that you should be a member. Does that make sense? Jesus expects you to not be like a tax collector and a pagan, but to be part of the local body of Christ. So uh, God expects you to be a member. And lastly, a Christian without a church family is an orphan. Somebody would ask this question. You've probably heard it. Do you have to be a church member to go to heaven? No, not at all. That's not what we're saying. And we'll get more into that here in just a second. But not being a church member is like driving at night with your headlights off. <laughs> you can do it, but it is not wise, right? It is not wise. It is not safe in the Christian life. Why? Because the, Jesus said, those who persevere to the end shall be saved. Those whose faith continue to the end shall be saved. God has given us the grace of relationships in the body of Christ. He has given us pastors and leaders and friends and mentors and each other in, in Christ to help us preserve ourselves. Jesus preserves us by the church, helping us uh, preserve until the end. It's not safe to drive in the, in the dark with your headlights off. And listen, if you're not a part of a local church, God has gifted you to be a part. And that body, this body of Christ, listen, if you're not a member of this church and God's called you to be a member of this church, we are missing out because we're not having your gifts operate in this local church. By the same way, you're missing out because you're not a part of the gifts that are operating in this local church, okay? So it is a both way. Listen, God doesn't need us. He doesn't. He's not served by human hands as though he needs anything we learned last week. However, we do need each other. God has given each other for that. Hey, here's the goal of this. Let me just say this morning, I want to hit about, uh, there's four sessions of this, and I'm going to talk about salvation. Uh, what we believe at Maysville Baptist Church about salvation. Next week, Pastor Shane, in the following weeks, we'll talk about our symbols, the Lord's Supper and baptism. He'll talk about our statements, why we exist and what we believe. He'll talk about, lastly, our structure, when and where we fulfill our purpose. Here's the goal of this class this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, the first goal of this series is that you would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's number one goal. Number two, the goal is this. If you are a Christian and you do have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have not been baptized, that you would be baptized. You see, baptism is a prerequisite to be a member of our church. Now, you can be baptized here and not be a member of our church. However, if you're going to join this local body of assembly, we do uh, require believers' baptism, okay? Um, so if you're a believer uh, and not been baptized, be baptized. Hey, if you're a believer who has been baptized, listen, our goal is that you would join us here at Maysville Baptist Church, okay? That's our goal. Uh, and listen, by the way, at the end of this service, I'm going to give an invitation if you've not been saved and you want to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then we want, we want to give you that opportunity, and then we want to give you an opportunity to be baptized, okay? And then next week, as Pastor Shane talks about baptism, we're going to talk, uh, he'll give you another invitation, of course, for salvation and 
for baptism. And on August the 15th, we're having a baptism celebration. God willing, I think we already have close to eight people lined up for baptism on that day. So we're going to celebrate the ordinance of baptism on that day. So uh, that is our goal, setting out for this. So um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Let's start. Um, I pray to God that uh, he would open up your heart to this great realities. In Galatians chapter 3, um, Listen, as you read the end of this, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul, when he wrote this, is rebuking a common prayer in his day. In his day, many Jewish men, it was common to make this prayer. Thank God I'm not Greek, thank God I'm not a slave, and thank God I'm not a woman. Now, that was just common prayer. How terrible of a prayer is that? But that was what many Jewish men prayed in those days. And what is Paul saying to that common prayer? Listen, he said, in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, listen, what Paul is not saying, he's not taking away the distinguishing factors of male and female or Jew and Greek, or slave or free. But here's what he is saying. For those who are in Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks at us, he sees one solidary unit, and that is Christ, when he sees his people who are in Christ. So then the natural question is, well, how do you get in Christ? Well, the answer here is faith in Jesus it's faith in Jesus. We're going to dive into that. But I want to point one more thing out for the text before we move forward. It says, we are all sons of God through faith. There is a popular belief in churches and in America and in the world that God the Father is the father of every human being. Are you listening? That uh, it's a common belief in the universal fatherhood of God. That is false. God is the creator of every person in this world. They are created in the image of God. However, he is not their father. What did Jesus say of the Pharisees? You're taking from your father, the devil. You see, only those who have been born again, only those who through faith believe in Jesus Christ are the sons and daughters of God. Okay? So uh, let's move on. So what we're talking about salvation this morning. Um... Particularly, we're talking about justification. Justification is a forensic term. It's a judicial term. That means to stand before God innocent, to have peace with God, to stand before the judge of the world and to be declared innocent. Okay? Uh, Martin Luther said on this doctrine of justification, it is the doctrine that the church either stands or falls. Um, J.I. Packer said it is the atlas of all other doctrines, okay? And by Atlas, you know the statue of Atlas holding the world. You, you know what I'm speaking of. Uh, in other words, J.I. Packer is saying, this doctrine, if you get it wrong, you mess everything else up. Martin Luther said, if the church doesn't get this wrong, right, they fail. And let me say this, if you don't get this personally right, you fall, okay? Um, and so this is vastly important. So first we must ask this question, why am I here? We must go to creation. Why did God create us? Why are we here? Um, a great verse, I think, that gives us a starting point is Isaiah 43, 7. It reads like this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed. Yes, I have made him. 
God says that you and I were created for his glory. Now, what does that mean? Now, um, please stay with me. Um, there's a couple issues we must address when answering this question, why did God create me, when we say God created us for his glory. One, uh, that one uh, doctrine we must proclaim is the self-sufficiency of God. Now, here's what that simply means. God, as we learned last, uh, last week in Acts 17, he needs no one. He isn't served by human hands if he needs anything. He is self-sufficient. He needs nothing outside of himself. God needs nothing outside of God to operate, to exist. Uh, he was before the world was. He is and he will be. Do you remember when God told Moses in the desert to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go? And Moses is like, time out, just real quick. God, who do you want me to tell Pharaoh sent me? <laughs> what, is, what did the burning bush say? I am. You tell Pharaoh the I am sent you. Now, the I am just simply means I am. <laughs> Not I am going to be or I will be. I am. I always I am. And the word for that is the aseity of God. God is self-sufficient. Now, you say why that is important. Because some people think this, that God created human beings because he had, he had need to create them so that someone would worship him. Uh, he had need to create. Um, 1 John 4, 8 does say God is love. And so some people argue, well, God needs somebody to love if God is love. So he had to create human beings so he would have somebody to love and someone to love him. However, another doctrine uh, must be spoke about because to uh, understand why that is false is the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus said, go baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a naming ceremony. You're being named with the Trinity. And get this, Jesus, and people say, the Trinity, you hear this? I can't understand that. That is way over my head. No, don't say that. Listen, Jesus expects when you're baptized that you understand the Trinity. He, Trinity is day number one for the Christian understanding. You say, I can't understand it. It's because you, you, you don't think you can. I promise you, you can. By the work of the Holy Spirit, you can. Listen, we believe in God in one, one God. In essence, in being, we believe in one God. But we believe that God has three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That isn't contradictory. This is why. Because in one sense, in the sense of essence and being, we're talking about one. But when it comes to personhood, in another sense, we're not talking about essence and being. We're talking about personhood. We believe in a plurality in the Godhead. God is one, but in the Godhead, there's plurality in personhood. God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? You say, why does that matter? Because God did not need to create the world to love something. Because the Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and, and speaking of Jesus, and Jesus was with God in the beginning. And they were face to face. He was with God. That word, with, is the word um, in the Greek term, prosperon. It means face to face. That Jesus was with the Father and the Holy Spirit at the beginning before the world was created. And there, there was love and joy and unity. They didn't have to create, God didn't have to create the world to have something to love. There was love there. Well, then why did he create it? Uh, he created, the world was created so the world and we would experience the glory and the love and the joy that is inside the Trinity so that we could partake in that relationship. That's why you and I were created. Um, I like what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, uh, the fact that a fountain overflows is not a sign of its deficiency. 
okay so we were created for the glory of God secondly we're same thing just said in a different way we're created to enjoy a personal relationship with God that's why he created us what is the purpose of salvation we're about to talk about what it is and we're getting there but what is the purpose of it first Peter chapter 3 verse 18 Peter tells us for Christ also suffered once for sin the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God that's it that's the purpose of salvation you could say that prayer is the purpose of salvation you could say what we did this morning worshiping God is the purpose of salvation you being in a relationship with God is the purpose hey, listen heaven is just a byproduct okay we are in relationship to God and that's why uh, we are saved uh, Jesus said in John 10 10 the thief did not come uh, except to steal kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly what is salvation in one way salvation is when the life of God comes into the soul of a man or a woman Jesus said I come to give you that kind of life uh, Paul's gonna talk about salvation he's gonna say regeneration brought back to life um, Jesus is gonna say in John 3 he told Nicodemus you must be born again you have to have a new life the Holy Spirit has to give you a new life Paul uh, Peter says we are partakers of a divine nature you see Adam and Eve they had that in the garden right they had the life of God but when they ate the fruit they God said you shall die and the life came out of them okay the life came out so what's the problem so all that sounds good right there it is that's when we created for the glory of God what's the problem the problem is this man is born with a sin nature Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 we read earlier and you have made me alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in verse 3 by nature children of wrath just as the others I run across so many people in the church our church and other churches who miss this point who who just miss it for lack of teaching lack of understanding lack of Bible knowledge but listen most people believe that they are born that people are born neutral that people can either be good or bad uh, or believe that people that their children are born good I got under heaven why could anybody have a child and think they were born perfect <laughs> you know I heard somebody said that uh, God makes them um, so little so they won't kill you but he makes them so beautiful so you won't kill them I mean ain't that the truth amen parents here, 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 the Bible right here we are by nature children of wrath we're born with a sin nature uh, we're born apart from God I mean uh, theologians since Augustine have made this plain and Orthodox Christianity has always taught this uh, that Adam and Eve in the garden Adam they had the ability to be righteous they had the ability to not sin to be righteous but they also had the ability to sin but because of their sin when we talk about original sin original sin is not speaking about well, that sin of Adam and Eve garden it's speaking about the result the effects of that sin on everyone born after Adam and Eve and see Adam and Eve had the opportunity to either be righteous um, or to be sinful and because of their sin the result of that is everyone born after Adam and Eve we are born we are bent our attitudes our minds our hearts our souls we are depraved creatures we are we we are bent towards sin 
Um, I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I mean, I struggled for years. I didn't want to be saved. I liked sin. Do you see, that is the sin nature that we're born with, that we love sin, that we commit sin because we want to. Um, some, you may think that because you sin, you're a sinner. No. Because you're a sinner, you sin. See, we are born sinners. We are born away from God. We are born children of wrath. Jesus said it like this in John 6, No man can come to me unless the Holy Spirit draws him. Uh, what's the point? Uh, you see, e anybody is allowed to come to God. The whole world is allowed to come to God. But here's the problem. Jesus said no one can. Here it is. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to come to God. That's the issue. Why? How come nobody wants to come to God? Even though we were created for his glory, we were created to enjoy him. The Westminster Confession, the first part says, uh, the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever. You and I were created to enjoy God. But how come, by nature, we don't want anything to do with him? Why? Because we don't want to come to him. Paul says there's none that seek after him. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who do good. You see, that is our nature. Um, we do not want to be liberated. <laughs> Jesus said people don't come to the light because their deeds are evil lest they be exposed. We don't want to come to the light. We are born in the darkness, and we want to stay in the darkness. That is our problem. Um, you see, the doctrine of original sin um, does not take away the image of God. We believe that every person is born in the image of God today in the broad sense that we are born with a mind, we're born with a heart, we're born with a soul, and with a spirit, and the body God gave us. We are born in the image of God. However, that in, in the narrow sense, we are not in the image of God. Our minds are corrupt. Our hearts, are, our desires are turned toward other sinful things, toward ourselves and to others. We have misunderstanding. We do wrong things. Now, that's what we mean by the doctrine of original sin. Now, what's the solution? Um, I want to make a distinction because I think this is important. Uh, many here come from um, Roman Catholic background or Catholic background. You're familiar with, with that. And uh, we believe that we're saved. Here's the solution, right? The problem is sin, the sin nature. And we believe the solution is faith alone in Christ. Right. Let me just make a distinction. I think this would help us understand. Um, the Roman Catholic faith, okay, um, a lot of times it is mischaracterized by Protestants, okay? Um, it's not that we believe in faith and they believe in works. That's, that's not true. We believe in faith alone, but they also believe in faith. Um, you can go research for yourself the Council of Trent, which was after the Reformation, their church council they put out, and they believe that, um, speaking of justification, that faith is the foundation of justification, that faith is the beginning of justification. That um, faith is the root of justification. But however, it's not faith alone. They believe that through baptism, baptism is the instrumental cause, they would say, of salvation. That, in other words, grace is infused to a person when they, with faith, accompany that with baptism and with the sacraments. And after one, by faith, goes through these ceremonies or sacraments, that they are then in a state of justification. However, they can lose that justification, um, and if they commit mortal sins, as they would say, and uh, after they lose that state of justification, they must do penance. Um, they must uh, go back to the sacraments to restore that state of justification. 
Because the way they see justification is they believe that it is infused into a person and that the person must become righteous for God to declare them righteous. Okay? And so, in other words, uh, if you die with sin in your life that you haven't uh, been pardoned of and been justified of, you go to purgatory. And purgatory is a place where, uh, in their belief, uh, which is not in the Bible but in their extra canon material that they um, hold to, that you go there to be purged of the sins so that you are made righteous. Okay? So they believe in faith, but it's faith plus works, you see. You see. Uh, that's a distinguishing factor for us. We believe it is faith alone and Christ alone. You say, well, how, why would we believe that? Well, because we're people of the Bible. And in Romans chapter 10, I want to read three verses to you and I'll point some things out. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, so here, if you confess with your mouth what? Jesus, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You see, we're not just talking about theories. We're talking about a person, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am me, the person of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am, Jesus said, I am the way. Through me is the way. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Where is eternal life found? It is found in Christ Jesus. Let me borrow a sermon uh, illustration from Alistair Beck. Uh, think about the thief on the cross for a minute. Think about him. Uh, he said, imagine when he got to heaven that day. And, and there he is walking through the gates and the angel said, whoa, whoa, whoa. how'd you get here? What are you doing? I don't know. Imagine, imagine his response. I, I, I don't know. Well, well Wait a minute. Let me, let me find my supervisor. Let, let me talk. Let me find somebody. You, you can't just come in here, right? Like, you can't just walk in. And so the supervisor says, okay, sir, we have some questions we need to ask you. Okay. Okay. Um, do you believe in justification by faith alone? Never heard of it. Okay. Um, uh, let, let's go to Scripture. Do you believe in Scripture as the final authority? I, 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 I don't know. Uh, and as you see the angel, you know, you just imagine getting frustrated. And then they ask the, they ask the man, on what basis are you here? And he says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Do you see, if you were to ask you the question, um, uh, in your opinion, what do you think it takes for a person to get to heaven? Or if God was to ask you, why shall I let you into heaven? Anything other than the person and work of Jesus is the wrong answer. You understand? It is, it, it, listen, don't misunderstand me here. You are, but hear me straight. You are not saved by your testimony. That's right. You are not saved by your testimony. You are not saved by your knowledge of the gospel. You're not saved by that. You are not saved by your experience in church. Right. You're not saved by that. You are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. You're saved by the person, the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know how many people this week I've talked to over and over here in our church and other people who said it took me 30, 40 years to get this right. I just could not. And you see, here's the problem. We have to miss, we have to unlearn so many things in church and in the world, right? And here's one of them that is you're not saved by praying a prayer. You're not saved by being baptized. You're not saved by trying to change your life. You're not saved by trying to have a better attitude or trying to read the Bible or trying to get. You're not saved by any of that. 
You're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. That is the simplicity of the gospel. And we're saved by faith in Jesus alone. You hear me? But let's say a couple things about what we believe happened at the cross that we believe in and about Jesus. And friends, if you could just stay with me. This is, listen, your joy in the Christian life hangs on what I'm about to say. We believe at the cross, we believe in what's called double imputation. You know, I said how Catholics believe that righteousness is infused. We believe that righteousness is imputed. And here's the difference, okay? We believe at the cross of Jesus, and this is what you usually hear when the gospel is presented, right? That Jesus on the cross, our sins, our guilt, our punishment was in, in Puted upon him on the cross. He took our sins on the cross, and the wrath of God was poured out upon him for the punishment of those sins. Amen. That that that's truth. That's what happened at the. But that's not all that happened there. That's not all. You see, here's the joyful part. Okay. Here's the amen. Because if you just stop there. Christian, this is where that puts you. That puts you back in the garden of Eden. That makes you innocent, but it just puts you back in the garden. And next time you sin, you're out. Do you, but here's the gospel. The gospel is not only where our sins you, uh, put upon Christ, uh, put upon Christ, but his righteousness was imputed upon us. Do you see? A double imputation. Our sins were put upon Christ, but Christ's righteousness. You see, we're not just saved by the death of Christ. We're saved by the life of Christ. You see? Say, he who knew no sin became sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, it's imperative that Jesus lived a perfect moral life. And the only way he could be born without original sin was that he be born of a virgin. That's why Christmas is a vital, that miracle is of vital importance because he was born the way he was born so he could live a perfect moral life before God, obeying, fulfilling the commandments and the prophets perfectly. So at the cross, not only did my sins were imputed upon him, but his righteousness was imputed to me. You see, I'm not just back in the garden. I would much rather be in the book of Galatians chapter 3 than I would in the garden because now as a Christian, I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You see, no matter what, it's not about my sin or what I do. It's about what Jesus did. Do you see? Your testimony is important. Your knowledge of the gospel is important. Um, your religious experience in church is important, okay? I'm not saying they're not, but that's not what saves you. What saves you is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and who he is and his perfect sinless life and his substitutionary death on the cross. That is what we believe um, is the solution. Well, then the next question would be, well, how do I receive it? How then do I become a Christian? It is as simple as receiving Jesus and him alone. Do you see, Christian, why you have to preach this to yourself every day? Because if you don't preach this gospel to yourself every day, you will lean toward works. You will just lean toward doing something so God loves you. You have to preach this gospel to yourself every day that he took our sins, but we are the righteousness of Christ. That when we put our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us. But how do you say, how do we do that? How do I receive Christ? And I want to say the next couple of things as careful as I can to help you. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So first I would say this, and we're trying to say, because we believe we're saved by Christ alone and by faith alone, okay? By faith alone, by belief. But then the question is, what is biblical faith, okay? Because there is such a thing as non I, I'll be honest, I don't even like to use the term faith in our time. I don't like to use the term belief because we have so watered down that belief. You think about it. We can say, I believe in Jesus and um, the fairy, fairy in Disney just at the same time, right? I mean, so what is biblical faith? Well, first, it is, I would say it's a dependence upon God. It's a t- dependence upon Almighty God. You see, because we are dead in our sins and in our trespasses, because of original sin, because we don't want anything to do with God because of our sin nature, it takes God to save us. It takes him alone. John chapter 3, I mean, you've you got to think Jesus had a sense of humor. You can't read it without not. Jesus, Nick, talking to Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's a teacher of the Jews. He's in the Sanhedrin. He's a leader of the Jews. And he, and he, says, to, he says, Nicodemus, for you to even see the kingdom, you've got to be born again. Then he says, to enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, Jesus. I'm an old man. <laughs> I can't go back into my mother's womb. <laughs> I can't do it. Jesus said, how? You're not listening. But Jesus says, what gives, the flesh gives birth to death, but the spirit gives birth to life. What is he saying? Only the Holy Spirit, only God can bring about the new birth in someone's life. Only him, only he can do it. We must be dependent upon God. This morning, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, you must be totally dependent upon him because you can't do it. You, it is mono, uh, monergism. It is all God's work, okay? So it is a depend, the biblical faith is dependence upon God. What accompanies biblical faith is repentance. Um, Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Um, this is all through the book of Acts, as we've been listening to Pastor Shane preach through it. But declared first to those, speaking of Paul, in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. What did he proclaim? that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. You see, repentance is turning away from my sin nature and turning to, toward God. Now, we have to be careful here because we believe it's by faith in Christ, it's by grace, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Repentance is not an action. Repentance is an attitude. Do you hear? It, it is the other side, the flip side of faith is repentance. Um, biblical faith always accompanies with it repentance because people look at um, our religion or our belief in justification by faith alone and they say, well, you just believe you can live however you want to. No. We believe when someone is truly born again, we believe when God has given them a new nature and that they become a new creation that accompanies that is this attitude of repentance. We believe in faith alone, but we believe that faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by good works if it is true biblical faith. True biblical faith, thirdly, and we're talking about receiving God's free gift of salvation. Biblical faith is ongoing faith. You see, it's not just a one-time decision. However, it must start with a decision. It must start with a coming to Christ to follow him. Uh, The new birth must happen in a person's life. Uh, Where would you go? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever one time made a decision and believed in Christ should have it. No, no. 
whosoever believes. It's an, it's an ongoing whoever believed, whoever believed and continues to believe in the gospel. It's an ongoing faith, not just a one-time faith. It's a personal faith. Here in John 1, 12, it said you must receive it. You see, even the demons, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they tremble. What's the difference for a Christian? Is that we don't just believe in the fact uh, of the historical accuracy of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, but we believe he died for us. That his righteousness is now our righteousness. We believe that. He is not just the world's savior, he is my savior. It's a personal faith, and it's also a satisfying faith. John six thirty five, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst again. See, biblical faith is a satisfying faith. It's ongoing, it's personal, but it's satisfying. You see, the Christian can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, when you come to faith in Jesus, you come to a place where you say, this is it. I need nothing else. Christ and Christ alone. I need no works. I need nothing of myself. All I need is Christ. You see, this is why Martin Luther also said that most of the Christian life is outside of you. We don't believe, we do believe that uh, God begins a new work in you and that you are being sanctified and that is the Christian life becoming like Jesus. We do believe that must happen in a Christian's life. But justification, having peace with God, standing before God as innocent can only happen by faith in Christ alone. That's it. I want to ask you the question again. If God was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? How would you personally answer that question? If you say anything else other than faith in Jesus or Jesus, you're wrong. It's not the correct answer. There, everyone doesn't get a trophy. There is a wrong answer to this question. And anything other than Christ, any works, is a wrong answer. The Bible says this. The Holy Spirit, in Romans 8, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I want to ask you something right now. Is the Holy Spirit of God testifying right now? Is he saying, you are my child. You've been born again. You love me. You believe in Christ and him alone? Or is the Holy Spirit burning inside of you saying, nope, you're not my child. You're not mine. you trusting in other things. Or you're not trusting in anything at all. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, the Holy Spirit is burning inside of you. You don't have peace right now. You're mangled up inside. Listen. Romans 5.1 says you can be justified and have peace with God through faith. You can put your faith, you can put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior today. So as the music comes, here in just a minute after I pray, we're going to open this altar. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to come up front. Come up front, grab me or one of our other pastors by the hand. Let us talk with you. Let us pray with you. Let us help you through receiving Christ as Savior. We want to be here for you. We want to help you through this time. It is so important. Listen, your joy, your peace all depends upon 
your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, I pray this morning for the one in this sanctuary this morning who doesn't have peace with you, who have that feeling inside right now that they could rip that chair in front of them apart because they have no peace. They don't know where they spend eternity. They, they don't know the purpose of their life, the meaning of their life. But, Lord, they know that they need to place their faith in Jesus. They need to surrender their life, their dreams, their future, their now, to him. Lord, I pray this morning they would make the decision to put their faith in you. So, Lord, I pray as we begin this time of invitation, they would come and they would receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray right now for the Christian. Or maybe that person who thought they were a Christian, but have been putting their faith in other things, church attendance, church membership, attending, giving, some kind of works, reading their Bible, anything other than Christ and Him alone. Putting their faith in baptism or saying a prayer, but they haven't put their faith in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, I pray they would come and receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for the Christian who has received you, have put their faith in you. But Lord, they've been missing out on their joy as of late because they have started to drift and have been preaching the gospel to themselves, have had a misunderstanding of the gospel, and have been putting their faith in their own works and their own righteousness outside of Christ. So Lord, I pray they would, they would come back and say, I'm holding to this. This is my joy. This is my peace. And I'm going to give God the glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website, or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where, once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.